Good music is what we want to hear. What do you mean, good music? It's what we dance to, what our children will dance to. And if you don't want to play it, then take your records and go home. Did you have a band? Good or bad? It's a great band. It's a bad band. It's like pizza, baby. It's good no matter what. There's music in the air. Does anything define rock and roll more than its basic element, the guitar riff? I'm Greg Cott. And I'm Jim DeRogatis. Guitar solos can be overblown and overrated, but a riff, when done right, can rule a song. We name our favorites and review the new double album from another guitar great, Prince. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later on in the show, Jim, you and I are going to talk about the new Prince albums. This would have been unimaginable a couple of decades ago when he was on Warner Brothers. He has reunited with that label. They had a big fight uh, back in the early 90s over how much music he was putting out. Now he's putting out two in one day. He couldn't have done that before because they thought he was putting out too much music. So things have changed in the world of Prince. We will dive into those 25 songs later in the show, but first, some music news. track called A Brain in a Bottle, the lead-off cut from a new album by Tom York and uh, Radiohead producer Nigel Godrich. It's called Tomorrow's Modern Boxes. You know, seven years ago, Greg, Radiohead made big news with a bold experiment in a new distribution form for uh, Radiohead's In Rainbows album. It was floated online, pay what you want. York and Godrich are trying something different. They're using the BitTorrent distribution system to float their new music as part of a bundle that you have to pay for. $6, which is still a bargain. 10% goes to BitTorrent. The rest goes to the artist. York has been particularly outspoken about artists' rights and saying that artists should get paid something for the music they release. He is testing BitTorrent as a means of distribution. But there is some criticism, Greg, from the music industry because the BitTorrent system has primarily been used for people to either choose one, illegally download or file share copyrighted movie and music files. Meanwhile, Jim, it seems like more traditional forms of releasing records are alive and well. We had a surprising announcement from the CEO of Urban Outfitters of all places. I mean, this place that's known for selling, you know, shoes and housewares to uh, hipsters. You've got an ironic Urban Outfitters t-shirt on as we speak. All of my faux distressed designer tees come from Urban Outfitters. But now they're saying they're selling vinyl albums in a big way. Music is very important to the urban customer, says the CEO. In fact, we're the world's number 
number one vinyl seller. That surprised the heck out of me. Billboard looked into this a little deeper and pointed out that Amazon, in fact, is the world's largest seller of vinyl in the U.S. But it could be argued that Urban Outfitters is primarily a brick and mortar, a traditional brick and mortar retail store, is the number one uh, seller in that end of it because it's got 8.1% market share. And rounding out the top five According to Billboard is Hastings Entertainment with 2.8%, Hot Topic with 2.4%. <laughs> I get my fishnets there. And Transworld Entertainment with Listening to Sound Opinions, I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And that is the immortal Chuck Berry with Johnny B. Good. A great guitar riff, Greg. A great song about being a guitarist, playing riffs. Pretty good place for us to start our discussion of guitar riffs in rock and roll, inspired by a piece you did for the BBC on some of the all-time greats. Let me define what a riff is, and then uh, you can give us some of the classics to get us rolling. It's not completely limited to rock and roll. There's a term in classical music, ostinato, right, which is a repeated rhythmic phrase, a hook. And of course, the jazz guys throughout the history of jazz were big on riffs that would, in between moments of improvisation, bring you back to a song. There's a classic 1945 Charlie Parker recording called Thriving from a Riff, which may have launched the popularization of that term. But in rock and roll, it's a hook, a musical hook that's repeated several times rhythmically, most often on the guitar. Yeah, Jim, I think it's the part of the song that you can hum in a lot of ways. You you know, people talk about the guitar solo in rock a lot, but you can't hum a solo, or at least in very rare in, only in very rare instances. But a riff is something that sticks with you. It recurs throughout the song in many instances and, and stays with you in the same way that a chorus might. Yeah, it can be a chord pattern or it can be individual notes. So you think about a song like uh, Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit or Tony Iommi's on Black Sabbath's Iron Man. Or Jack White on the White Stripe Seven Nation Army. Those riffs are integral to how those songs sound and how we remember them. But we're going to stay away, hopefully, from some of the more obvious ones and dig a little deeper, as we like to do on Sound Opinion. Jim, you're going to start us off. What do you got? Greg, for the most part, I think with our picks here, we're going to try to be not so very obvious, but it's it's impossible to talk about guitar riffs and not talk about Led Zeppelin. We have to have one Led Zeppelin selection <laughs> to be certain. Uh, Jimmy Page was a master of the guitar riffs. Most of the hooks in the greatest Led Zeppelin songs come from his riffs. He was just incredibly talented at 
creating guitar hooks. One of my favorites that's a little less heralded than others is The Ocean from Houses of the Holy in 1973. You know, the album before, the untitled fourth album, had Stairway to Heaven, and that gets all the hype. But I actually think Houses of the Holy, song for song, is a better record. As a kid struggling to learn how to play drums, I think the song that taught me what a time signature was was The Ocean because there's one bar of 4-4, four, four, so you're counting 8 to the floor, and then a bar of 7-8. What is that? Oh, my goodness, right? It's, it, so, so the riff sets the rhythm, and it's got these two different time signatures, and I was like, oh, I can learn how to count, right? And I wasn't even a guitar fan. Plus, it's just catchy as heck. It's just a wonderful, wonderful riff. Listen to what I'm talking about. Led Zeppelin with the ocean on Sound Opinions. Guitar riff from Jimmy Page, The Ocean by Led Zeppelin. you got to love that. What's your first uh, riff to highlight, Mr. Cobb? 
Well, Jim, I have to go to ACDC for a number of reasons. Uh, if you go to this Australian band's first six, seven records, they are just chock full of great riffs. And one of the reasons for that is actually two guitarists in this band, the brothers Angus and Malcolm Young. Angus is the one that gets all the glory because he's the guy that marches around in the, in the schoolboy suit in the concerts. He plays the solos. But Malcolm is the heart and soul of the band in many ways, and it's, it's some sad news about Malcolm Young. He was recently diagnosed with dementia at age 61 and is now officially out of the band. Uh, I think one of the great riff albums of all time is the 1979 ACDC album, Highway to Hell. It was the last one with Bon Scott as the lead vocalist, and this to me is the prime age of uh, ACDC. Robert Mutlang was the uh, producer on this particular record, and he gave a certain clarity to those riffs, and you can hear it ringing out at the start of this song, where Angus begins the song, and then Malcolm comes in, and you see those counterpoint riffs going against each other, creating this sense of tension that continues throughout the song. It's Angus and Malcolm Young on ACDC's Shot Down in Flames from 1979 on Sound Opinions. Shot Down in Flames by ACDC. You just love this band and its riffs. I know you do. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, does. You're, 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 you're strutting around the studio <laughs> as that song is playing. I love watching you take pleasure in ACDC. 
Um, you know, Greg, I think that there's a rockist bent to the use of guitar, uh, as if only rock bands have used guitar and guitar riffs well. That is absolute nonsense. So for my second pick, right up top here, I'm going to make the point that R&B, funk, and in the disco era, those bands all used guitar incredibly well, often to provide the primary hook of a song, or at least, you know, right up there with the horns. The Ohio Players were a funk R&B band from Ohio, recorded their seventh album here in Chicago, though, and this produced their most famous hit, Love Roller Coaster. What you get is this rhythm guitar riff, right, which is like the roller coaster cart heading up the hill, and then it swoops down. They're trying to make the comparison between a romantic relationship and roller coaster. It has its ups and downs. Here's the Ohio players on Sound Opinions. Love Roller Coaster by the Ohio Players. What a funky riff, Greg. Later covered by the Red Hot Chili Peppers and a scarcity of credits on their albums, but I know that Leroy Sugarfoot Bonner was one of the guitarists. We're going to continue counting down the best guitar riffs in rock history in just a minute here on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And later, we'll hear some of your picks. And then, Jim and I review the new pair of albums from a man who's also no slouch on guitar, Prince.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. We are talking about the greatest guitar riffs in rock history, choosing some of our favorites. A riff, I will remind you, is a cluster or sequence of notes or chords that provides the main hook for a song that really drives the tune. Greg, it's your turn for another pick. What do you got? Well, Jim, one of the things I love about a riff is that it can set a song up, especially when it begins a song. And within the first three seconds, you know right away who it is and what the song is. And that, to me, is an iconic guitar riff. And that's what qualifies Prince's Kiss from 1986 as a great guitar riff song. It is Prince himself playing that opening guitar lick. Now, this song has a kind of a checkered history. Prince was working on his Parade album in late 1985 at uh, Paisley Park when a couple of associates from his band, The Revolution, asked him to write a song for a project they were working on called Maserati. You know, he ran into the studio, came up with a little acoustic demo. It was about a minute long. It sounded like a country or blues song, depending on who you talk to. The guys in Maserati, they included David Z and Brown Mark from The Revolution, uh, spent all night reworking the song, and they basically stripped it down into this electric track that included this gated electric guitar sound. Prince gets back in the morning and goes, Man, that sounds pretty good. I think I want to take that song back. <laughs> so Prince starts working on the song, and he comes up with that guitar intro, basically lifting it from uh, Jimmy Nolan, the great guitarist in James Brown's 60s bands. In fact, if you listen to Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, that iconic chicken scratch guitar riff in the middle of that track, that's kind of what Prince was channeling here for the intro to Kiss. So he reclaimed the song, but in a rare bit of benevolence from Prince, he normally takes full credit for most of these things. He did share the production credit with the guys in Maserati, recognizing the work they did. So there's that opening riff and also that gated guitar riff that goes on through the song. So it's a true collaboration. Here's Prince with Kiss on Sound Opinions. Ah! 
That's one of the all-time great guitar licks, Prince with Kiss from 1986 on Sound Opinions. Jim, what's your next great guitar riff track? I'm going to jump ahead to late 70s punk. I think that many of the punk bands that exploded in England and the U.S. in 77, 78, wrongly were criticized for not being able to play, especially guitar. And that's just not true. I mean, punk was more stripped down and energetic and focused, simpler perhaps to play than, you know, some of the great Jimmy Page riffs. But there were killer riffs, and the Buzzcocks were masters of very tuneful riffs that could hook you into a song. I'm not going to play a Buzzcocks riff, though. I'm going to play Magazine's debut single, Shot by Both Sides. Howard DeVoto was an early member of the Buzzcocks, along with Pete Shelley, who was the driving force of that band. I think they co-wrote this guitar riff. Both of them were guitarists because it would drive Shot by Both Sides and get credited to both DeVoto and Shelley when Magazine made its debut in 78 after DeVoto left the Buzzcocks. And then the Buzzcocks had a single called Lipstick, which had almost the same but not quite as good a riff that uh, DeVoto got credit on along with Shelley. Anyway, two great minds, two great guitarists, one unforgettable riff. If you've never heard this, the way that it kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and then repeats and builds and builds is way drawn out. And it's got this sense of drama, which is just unbelievable. Shot by both sides from Magazine on Sound Opinions. By both sides, with Howard DeVoto on guitar, Magazine's first single, one of my favorite guitar riffs. But, Greg, we should share the joy and go to the phones to hear from some of our listeners. Yes, uh, we've got Neil from Plano, Texas on the line. Neil, we've got killer guitar riffs on the docket today. What do you got for us? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is uh, How Soon Is Now by The Smiths, that opening riff, and as well as that sort of screaming slide guitar line that goes over top of it. I just love that. Oh, that's great. (laughs) 
We had Johnny Marr on the show, and it was a real treat sitting here with him, Neil. And he told us the story of that song coming together, which was almost completely accidental. And he was he was going for a, he said, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Yeah, I think the quote from Marr on our show was Jungle Swamp, which makes a little bit of sense. Fogarty was very influenced by Pop Staples and the Staples singers with that tremolo and that reverb, that sort of Mississippi thing. And here you've got this guy in England now channeling that. So, you know, you get it. You, you come up with something completely different. Maybe that's why it's so unique. It does have that sort of sense of uh, another world being created. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's a perfect fit for, you know, where they end up going with the lyrics and the song to just that sort of incredible loneliness and looking for some kind of connection, that sort of feeling distant and otherworldly from, from those around you. It's a good fit. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Neil, so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. Now over to Heather in Dover, New Hampshire. Heather, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thank you so much. All right, give us a great guitar riff. Oh, that's so easy. It's the beginning of Sticky Fingers. Can't you hear me knocking? The thing that kills me is just, it's the intro. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's like this slow, steady layering of sound that just comes in and it just kind of fills up your ears and between Mick Taylor and Keith Richards and then Charlie Watts with that lazy drum beat that comes in, it just kills me. It's kind of like listening to a six-layer sandwich. Heather, my question for you is the awesomeness of Keith Richards. I mean, they call the guy King Riff. How do you choose just <laughs> one Stone song? That's it, because, you know, the, by definition, a riff is just this, you know, repeated few chords that are played that other people then come in and play over. He nails it, and it's funny, I, I actually went in and read about the recording of that song. It was down in Muscle Shoals. And according to Mick Taylor, you know, they thought the stereo equipment had been turned off. Hmm. And they just kept playing, and that's when, like, the whole Latin percussion thing came in, and they just caught it all on tape. Keith Richards, he said that, you know, he just started playing that one little riff, and that's where the whole song came from. And if you think about really great songs, a lot of them have that kind of slow introduction. And I went back and looked at some of my favorites, um, like Whipping Post. Of course, that leads in with a bass, but then the the riff comes in on top of that. Or um, Why Can't I Touch It by the Buzzcocks. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I have, I have a little bit of a music problem. I'm kind of a nerd. Oh, it's not a problem. <laughs> this is where this is where you can admit. The first step, you know, is listening to Sound Opinions and admitting you have a problem. And we embrace you for it. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for being there for me, guys. You're welcome. <laughs> Last up is Nathan in Minneapolis. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for calling. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the show. Well, thank you very much. Have you got an all-time great guitar riff? Yes, I do. Um, my choice would be the song Who Loves You Better by the Isley Brothers 
from the 1976 album Harvest for the World. Ernie Isley, an incredible guitarist, you know, as, as we've interviewed him. He's told us how he taught this young kid, Jimmy, how to, how to play a few licks. Right. Hendrix. Right. What do you love about that song in particular? The first time I heard it, which, you know, I don't know if it's best-known Isley Brothers songs, but the first time I heard it, just the first five or ten seconds, or you know, just said goose pimples on the back of my neck. Mm. And, you know, that's sort of the function, I think, of any good riff is to give you that sort of charge from the very beginning. And I think this is one of those songs, not only does it have a very great riff, but it just has a killer opening few seconds that sort of establishes, yeah, as you said, this great Ernie Isley sort of Hendrix-influenced psychedelic, but still really funky riff. I've long thought that no guitarist anywhere in any genre should be allowed to use the wah-wah pedal, except <laughs> for Ernie Isley. He had that liquid gold sound, right, Nathan? Yeah, he did. I mean, I put him in a class with maybe Hendrix, obviously, and also Eddie Hazel as guys, I think, who I think could master the wah-wah pedal and, and definitely added it as sort of an interesting funk element in a lot of music, um, and it was imitated a lot, I think, in a lot of funk bands in the 70s. Yeah, and Eddie Hazel from Funkadelic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and people may not realize that, uh, you know, we're mentioning Hendrix as an influence on Ernie Isley. The reason Hendrix was such an influence was that he, in fact, toured with the Isley Brothers in the 60s before anybody knew who Hendrix was, and, and the Isley Brothers were kind of in-between hits, so it wasn't like their biggest era, but very formative influence on uh, Ernie Isley's playing, and uh, that's a great choice. That's a deep cut, Nathan. I'm glad you're going there instead of something like Who's That Lady, which is a little probably a little more sure. obvious. Sure. Thank you, Nathan, and thanks for listening to the show. Yes, thank you very much. And what about you, listening at home? You can share your favorite riff at the end of next week's episode by calling 888-859-1800. And you can check out our Guitar Riffs playlist at Beats Music. Greg, it's time to wrap up our list. Your turn. Thanks, Jim. Uh, next, I want to go to Sleater Kinney. They went out in great style in 2005 with the Woods album. And Carrie Brownstein, I think, is one of the great uh, riff masters of the era. Three-piece band, no place to hide in this band. You, you had to carry a big load no matter what instrument you're playing. And uh, Carrie Brownstein would often play lead and rhythm guitar on the same song in this band. In this particular track uh, that I'm going to play called Jumpers, they empathize with this person who's being pushed to the brink and uh, eventually it sounds like commits suicide. But it's not viewed so much as a tragedy as, as a kind of a liberation from a life where they feel trapped and hopeless. So there's two sides to this story. I think they're trying to convey in this particular track. It starts out sort of moodily and then transforms itself about two minutes in and then you hear this series of riffs that Brownstein plays that really elevate the song, really turn the urgency up uh, several notches and give you this, this sense of desperation that this person is feeling as she's confronting her own life. So Brownstein really defines the song with those guitar riffs, and they, to me, are the most memorable part of it. It's Sleater Kinney from 2005, Jumpers on Sound Opinions. The only substance is the
Peter Kinney with Jumpers on Sound Opinions, Kerry Brownstein on guitar. Jim, what do you got next? Well, Greg, you mentioned Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana earlier. Of course, that was the year punk broke, 1991. That riff arguably changed music ever since. But, you know, a couple of years before, in 1988, Mudhoney, the first great Seattle band that everybody thought was going to take over the world, released their debut single, Touch Me, I'm Sick. Two guitarists, Mark Arm and Steve Turner, playing through an electro-harmonics big muff distortion pedal, pushing that riff. It was an incredible, dirty, greasy, violent sound. Kurt Cobain loved it. I remember sitting with Cobain and Chris Novoselic of Nirvana saying, how come in 1988, Touch Me, I'm Sick didn't get there first? And they both said it should have. We, we were killed by that riff when we first heard it. And a great riff it is. Touch Me, I'm Sick by Mud Honey on Sound Opinion. Touch Me, I'm Sick from Mud Honey, one of Jim DeRigatis' great all-time riffs. And I couldn't agree more, Jim. That is a uh, an iconic one for sure. I got one of, of more recent vintage now. The Song of 2013, Get Lucky, Daft Punk. Mm. And you had mentioned very eloquently how you feel that funk and R&B and soul guitarists uh, deserve their due alongside uh, rock guitarists for creating great riffs. Of course they do. And this is the latest example. In fact... I would put Nile Rodgers' contributions to rock guitar playing, specifically guitar riffing, next to anybody's over the last 30 years. I mean, he has defined funk R&B music for a good part of that period. Working with everybody from Chic, his first great band, I mean, think about Good Times. Classic Chic song, song that has been sampled countless times. That guitar riff, that's Nile Rodgers. You know, first three, four, five seconds of that song, the dance floor is filling up because they know they're in for eight minutes of a great groove. Niles had a great word for it, an easy groove. It's like a river. You think about riffs as foundational elements, but that's, uh, foundation implies static. It doesn't move. 
with Nile, you get the sense that the riff is moving like a river. And you hear it again with Daft Punk's Get Lucky. I mean, the French robots were, were geniuses in terms of who they wanted to collaborate with, right? They got Pharrell Williams on the lead vocal, but it's the Nile Rodgers guitar riff that defines this song. Daft Punk, Get Lucky on Sound Opinions. Like the legend of the phoenix All ends with beginnings What keeps the planet spinning Ah, uh, the force from the beginning That is Daft Punk with Get Lucky and the great Nile Rodgers guitar riff from 2013 on Sound Opinions. And again, we want to hear from you. We couldn't fit all the best guitar riffs in one single show. What did we miss? And why is the riff so special? Call 888-859-1800. Coming up, Greg and I will review not one, but two new releases from Prince. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and that's a track from the latest album, or one of the latest albums from Prince. Third Eye Girl is the name of the rock quartet he formed, and the song is called Wow, from a new album called Plectrum Electrum. There is also another Prince album that is coming out simultaneously with it called Art Official Age. Hard to believe, but Prince is 56 years old. He still looks like he's about 36, if not 26. What a career. One of the most important quintuple threat artists of the last four decades. Singer, songwriter, performer, producer, multi-instrumentalist, all while holed up at Paisley Park outside of Minneapolis for the last few decades. He was at the center of the Minneapolis sound that redefined funk and R&B in the 80s. I mean, he owned the 80s, right, alongside with Michael Jackson and maybe Springsteen and a couple of others. That was Prince's decade. He sold over 100 million records worldwide, seven Grammys, 10 platinum albums, 30 top 40 singles. He wrote hits for Sinead O'Connor and the Bangles. An amazing career. More than 30 albums he has released, and probably at least as many, Jim, in the vaults that he hasn't put out. Who knows what'll happen with this new contract with Warner Brothers. He did part ways with Warner Brothers in the 90s, very acrimonious breakup. They are now back together again. As I said, two albums in one day to celebrate their reunion. One with Third Eye Girl, Plectrum Electrum, and then a Prince solo record called Art Official Age. Here is a track from the Prince solo record, Art Official Age. It's called The Gold Standard from Prince on Sound Opinions. We know what y'all be thinking. Nude is the brand new young. Everybody's just drinking. Inhibition's just gone. You don't need to be rude. You don't need to be wild. Whatever you do, no compromise and done with style. The gold standard, crazy amazing, upper echelon groove. The gold standard, crazy amazing, turn it up, let your body move. Prince from Art Official Age, one of two new albums, as you said, Greg. We bumped into the segment with Wow, the opening track from Plectrum Electrum, the album he made with a new band, Third Eye Girl, an all-female, hard-hitting funk rock band. That is by far the disc that I prefer of these two offerings. Now, 34 studio albums into this extraordinary career. I think Prince has been coasting for a very long time. I think the last really great 
Prince album was Diamonds and Pearls in 1991. And everything since, there have been flashes of brilliance and there has been a lot of filler. These two albums are no exceptions. I say I like Plectrum Electrum better because it at least has energy. He's excited to be playing with these new musicians who hit hard. But boy, he's not reinventing anything. The title track steals wholeheartedly. I count three Led Zeppelin riffs. A track called Whitecaps, which is more of kind of a lilting ballad, rewrites that Jefferson Airplane, Crosby, Stills, and Nash song, Wooden Ships, right? He's pilfering riffs, and this is a guy, speaking of riffs, who never had to do that in the past. But at least there's energy on Plectrum Electrum. Artificial Age is a bloated concept album with this running sci-fi theme going through. It's a, a poor attempt to do what Janelle Monet, hugely inspired by Prince at his best, did with the Arch Android albums. Artificial Age is a trash it. Plectrum Electrum, again, no heavy lifting, but at least he's having some fun. It's a try it. These are not Prince masterpieces, although his many fans will say, he's back, he's back, he's back. And we've heard that 10 times in the last 20 years. Well, you're wrong on both counts, Jim. Uh, I think <laughs> because the, you're one of those fans who uh, will apologize for I, it. I, I haven't liked a lot of Prince stuff for 20 years. But I, at the same time, I do find that there are gems. I would say that the Artificial Age record is very good. I think the Plectrum Electrum record is him coasting with a mediocre band. He could be playing with anyone in the world that he wants. And these gals are not pushing him. I'd love to hear Prince play his guitar. Oh, I think that guitar solo in Wow, which kicks things off, is him at his psychedelic rock I agree. Best. The, the guitar playing is fantastic, but I think the songs are pretty weak on that record. I think it's mediocre Prince songwriting once again. That is not a problem so much with Art Official Age. Again, I think the songs are okay to good, but I think what really knocks me out about Artificial Age is Prince going nuts in the studio is kind of this one-man band flittering around with personas and sounds. Just the rhythms that he's coming up with on this record alone, the way he's rethinking the way we handle percussion or the kind of sound effects that he's coming up with. It's a really dense, layered record. I love the idea that he's creating a world for himself, and it sounds very contemporary. This record sounds like he's right alongside Janelle Monet and Frank Ocean and The Weeknd in terms of the kind of innovative R&B he's creating. I think Artificial Age is a buy-it record, and I think Plectrum Electrum is a try-it record simply because of Prince's guitar playing. That's a try-it for Plectrum Electrum from both Greg and me, a buy-it for Artificial Age from him, and a trash-it from me. What do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we have an in-studio visit from the both, otherwise known as Ted Leo and Amy Mann. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Anthony Martinez, and our new intern, Alex Claiborne. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. I'm in the phone booth, it's a one across the hall. If you don't answer, I'll just bring it off the wall. I know he's there, but I just try to call. Don't leave me hanging on the telephone. New messages. Hey guys, this is Andrew from Richmond, Virginia. I was just calling in response to the story about the upcoming Pink Floyd album. Greg mentioned something about whether any band had ever taken a two-decade gap between 
albums like this, and My Bloody Valentine just did it. There was 22 years or 23 between Loveless and MBV, the difference being that they had real new material. They actually had been working on these songs perhaps too much, but he spent 20 years actually coming back to and finishing and polishing up an album of new material. Floyd just warming over 20-year-old instrumental tracks that they never released. Smells like pure cash-in to me. That's just my opinion. Okay, thanks. Hi, this is Andy Boggs. I'm originally from Fort Collins, Colorado, where I grew up, but I've been living in Las Vegas for a long time, and I can remember when hearing Dave Gilmore's first solo album and thinking that was like the new Pink Floyd album coming out until I found out what it was. And so I'm very looking forward to this new Floyd album, even if there's not lyrics, because his musical contributions and strengths are awesome, especially if you include uh, Richard Wright. And let's face it, Dave Gilmore was always the main man writing a lot of material and, and adding and mixing things with Roger the whole time. Roger was a brilliant lyricist and clearly the art director of the band most often. But overall, I'd say Gilmore was the musician, the constant musician that made that band work the way it did with Wright, of course, in the mix. Just wait a while for the right day And as I rise above the tree line and the clouds I look down Hear the sound of the things you said today And that's just a comment I want to leave. Thank you and goodbye. Hello, my name is uh, Bobby from Kalamazoo. I'm calling about you two getting thrashed. I mean, you got critics are like wolves. I mean, you have someone like Kanye West or Leonard Cohen, and you kind of smell them and back off because there's a mutual respect there. But like you two, they're just a bunch of rabbits running scared of critics. I think you guys smell the fear in them, and you just can't resist, but to gnash your jaws and thrash them side to side. I mean, I can respect the double trash it. Songs of Innocence isn't any better than the last one, but did you really need to keep repeating the double trash it three or four times over the rest of your show? I think of the song Sleep Like a Baby Tonight and its idea of how can we be happy as persons when there's so much suffering in the world. And I think the lullaby mixed with edge guitar is pretty decent. Hey, Sound Opinions. This is Big Papa E in Wichita, Kansas. I used to be such a big fan of YouTube. This new album is like background music for Starbucks. It's the pumpkin spice latte of U2 albums. It's sickly sweet and has no real U2 in it. I've been so disappointed for so long with U2, and now this coupon ends up in my iTunes and 
I just throw it out with all the other junk mail. But you guys rock my world. Bye-bye. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.